how are you now? Second half of a back-to-back, how are you right now? Hasn't been kind to the Montreal Canadiens this year, has it? Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake and we are here because your Montreal Canadiens completed the second half of their back-to-back in Pittsburgh against Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins. So it's the second half of a back-to-back with travel, but you all know, if you listen to this podcast very often, I do not buy the excuse of being tired for one second from professional athletes who are paid millions of dollars to be prepared for precisely scenarios like this. So looking for a strong effort level from the Montreal Canadiens here. As we all know, you know, as the rest of this season, the, the stretch run, whatever you want to call it, drags on. This is not a team that's going to be making the playoffs, barring some kind of absolute miracle uh, act of the hockey gods, if you will. Uh, so, you know, losses are to be expected, and you just want to see them actually play well in these games, more so than anything. So we're going to get to that, the recap and everything else. But first, as you know, Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with live in-game betting contests and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile Mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team, and remember to use promo code Believe. That's B L E A V for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online. The game starts here. And before the Habs even started their game, well before actually, earlier in the day, they picked up Colin White off of waivers, uh, which was an interesting pickup. I was looking, I was like, why, why would you do that? I mean, they sent Brandon Gignac down or put them on waivers, rather, almost immediately after that decision. So um, it was clear, like, they they wanted to get some reinforcements, I think, for the Rocket and and help the Rocket gear up for a playoff run. I don't think they want to send Joshua Hua back to the Rocket, at least not now. Uh, And, you know, that's probably a good thing. So we get an addition to the team, and uh, we go into this game with some new-look lines, but most of the lines looking exactly as they did the night prior. And, uh, look, honestly, the first period was dominated by the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, literally, it was just the Crosby line for the Penguins. It looked like they could get anything going against the Habs. Uh, And even Crosby's line wasn't getting a whole lot in in the way of actual scoring chances. We get about halfway through the period, and, you know, the Habs looking like the far better team. They go in on a rush into the the Penguin zone, and, uh, you know, it doesn't work out. Uh, I think it was actually Colin White who turned the puck over. Um, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Christopher Latin gets it, and he's kind of just going towards the half wall, and he spins around and throws a fucking pizza into the middle of the ice, and it's right to Mike Matheson, and he's got time and space. He walks in, fires a precision wrister, uh, and beats Tristan Jari and makes it one nothing for the Montreal Canadiens. All their excellent work in that first period rewarded um, after about 10 minutes of good play. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> it's a few minutes later, uh, Christopher Latin fixes his own error, and it's, this time it's Mike Matheson, who benefited from a turnover a couple of minutes before, turns it over in the corner in his own zone, and the puck gets thrown uh, back up to the point uh, by Evgeny Malkin. It's Christopher Latin with the shot, and it looks like this one deflects off of Caden Primo and in through a lot of traffic, so no blame for Primo on that one, and it is 1-1. And... Um, <clears throat> Apologies for that. I'm still fighting off this uh, cold that my son's trying to give me. But anyways, 1-1's your score at the end of 1. Don't 
like you know take that score to really mean anything though the Habs were the far better team in that period like by a long shot and um you know it was just you know good goaltending by Tristan Jari kept them from uh being able to get any more goals in that one and they're still looking like the better team in the early goings of the second period um just under four minutes in we get the first penalty of the game we actually had nothing going in the first period from the officials is Brian Russ going off for a trip the Habs threaten but they can't get anything through Tristan Jari yet again and that hurts you know, you need one from your power play in that scenario because just past the midway point of the period, Brendan Gallagher takes a holding penalty. Penguins score off of the, the opening draw uh, in their own zone. Uh, puck goes up to the point. Uh, point shot from Eric Carlson. It gets tipped in front, I believe, by Brian Russ, and that makes it 2-1. to one. Seconds after that, uh, Penguins get a rush chance, and it's Drew O'Connor who gets the puck and snipes one from the top of the circle, makes it 3-1. Uh, the, the game really kind of unraveled on them just right there in the second period with that one power play goal and then one coming right afterwards. The Habs play the remainder of the second period looking a little bit defeated. Doesn't bode too well for the third, but in the third, again, they were the far better team. I, I mean, you know, they, they could have had a couple there, especially in the early goings of that period. Um, Joshua Hawaii came close a couple of times. Uri Slavkovsky came close. Cole Caulfield came close. Um, but close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. It doesn't count in hockey. And uh, they just couldn't get anything. Uh, Ricard Raquel took a tripping penalty a few minutes in. They get nothing on that power play. Another penalty on Brian Russ later in the period. They get nothing on that one either. Uh, we get all the way down to the wire. They pull Kid and Primo for an extra skater. And Yoel Armia makes a bad pass in behind the Penn's net. And Christopher Letang gets his second of the game on a 200-foot shot, uh, standing basically on his own goal line. Your final score, 4-1 to one in favor of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm not mad at that one, folks. Uh, and I don't think anybody should be. They were the better team, despite the fact that they played the night prior. Uh, you know, they came in with energy, and they were the better team, but by a long shot. Shot attempts, uh, fifty-nine to fifty in favor of the Habs, fifty-four point one three percent. Pretty good. They had more shots uh, at even strength alone. It was twenty-nine to twenty-four in favor of the Habs. Uh, scoring chances at even strength, thirty to twenty-one in favor of the Habs. That's fifty-eight percent, nearly sixty percent. High danger scoring chances, fifteen to six in favor of the Habs. That's seventy-one point four three percent. And of course, everybody's favorite stat: expected goals. If you went by expected goals, the Habs were three point five nine expected goals to two point one nine. So by almost any statistical metric, they deserved to win that game but they ran into a good goaltender in Tristan Jari and uh, their power play failed them um, they they usually are a little bit better in the power plays so it's kind of surprising to see them be you know that I don't want to say anemic because they did have some chances but they were just predictable and once the predictability kind of uh, set in for the Penguins they were able to start anticipating plays and those third period power plays were just uh, you know they were not good uh, they were they were a lot better earlier on in the game when they got their opportunity. The first time in the second period, uh, they they had better chances, and then after that, uh, Pittsburgh settled in and was able to to d up everything that they were trying to do. But again, I'm not mad at that loss. They they were the better team for 60 whole minutes. There was not one period where I sat there and went. Eh, well, I mean, I guess the second period was a little bit rough around the edges. Uh, that was definitely their worst period, and it's been their worst period all season long, really. But overall, you look at that game, it's, it's, you play that game 10 times, you, same thing that I said about last night, right? You probably win nine of them. And you, you, you ran into the one game where you're going to lose it. And, you know, Team Tank's going to like it because nobody wants, nobody on Team Tank wants to see them win any games right now, let alone against a team that's ahead of them in the standings, ahead of them. Um, you know, not ahead of them in terms of the, the lottery positioning, but ahead of them in, in the actual standings and therefore a team that you don't want to catch up to in points. 
Um, I think Ottawa was winning when I last checked as well, so this could actually bring them a little bit closer to uh, maybe within striking distance of a top five, uh, you know, position or at least top five expected position in uh, the lotteries. Not bad uh, from a tank perspective and really not bad from an actual on-ice play perspective. Uh, it wasn't just statistics. Even just watching it eye test-wise, uh, that was actually a very good game from them. Uh, there was really n- not a whole lot to complain about. There were some some negative things, but we'll try to go through some positives here first before I get to uh, the negativity. Start with the silver lining of the night, and you know I, I hate to do it to you guys, but I got to go with the sa- exact same player that I used last time. You know what? We'll, we'll switch it up, and we'll actually give it to that whole line of Joshua Hawaii with Alex Newhook and Josh Anderson. They were, uh, for my money, they were the best line for the Habs in that game. Um, they really, uh, on multiple occasions, were able to hem Pittsburgh in their own zone. Uh, they were even out there against the Crosby line uh, towards the end of the game. Like when the when the, the Penguins were trying to protect a lead, it looked like they were trying to key that line against Crosby which is a testament to those three and how well they've played since they put that line together. I know it's only been two games now, but, um, you know, if the Penguins feel like they need to put Sidney Crosby out there on you, and again, Crosby's line was like the only line that really seemed like it was doing anything offensively for the Penguins up until they ended up getting the lead, that's that's a vote of confidence from the other team saying, listen, you got a dangerous line there. I... Listen, I don't want to dump on Josh Anderson because I actually felt like he played a good game. But I cannot wait until Kirby Doc is healthy and they can try to reconfigure that line, throw Doc at center, and then split the other two out on the wing. New hook and Hoa on respective wing. I mean, you can can put them on either wing you want. Either guy can play either side. They're both very well positioned. Uh, They have different styles of play, of course, uh, which which might play into depending on what kind of system you want to use in the offensive zone, where you want to put them. But... I cannot wait until I see that line because even with Josh Anderson right now, um, you know, being as largely ineffective as he's been this season, uh, he, he looks effective on that line. And I think Kirby Doc would look wonderful on that line, particularly when you can get Alex Newhook back to his optimal position, which is on the wing. Um, there was a play in the third period, actually, where the Penguins had the puck below their own goal line. They're trying to go up the wall with it. And it looked like if you're just sitting back and looking at it, um, whether you're in the rink or on, watching on TV, it didn't matter. You get a good view of that zone. And your first thought is that puck's going out. Joshua Hawaii comes out of nowhere, turns the puck over, and then they end up hemming the Penguins in their zone for a good, I don't know, 20 seconds, and then they end up drawing a penalty. Mike Matheson gets it up at the point, and he gets tripped. Um, Things like that can really change the tide of a game, and the way that line's playing right now uh, is it's precisely that. They have such a good heavy forecheck, and then once they're able to turn pucks over uh, in a board battle or you know as the team is trying to break out of their zone, they are capable of burning you. Uh, you know, you got Josh Anderson coming with a lot of speed, Alex Newhook coming with a lot of speed, and then Josh Anderson's like a fucking changeup. Like you, you don't really know what he's going to do, and he's so good at sneaking in and out of coverage, um, and you know, a lot of people have made so much about his foot speed. Is he going to have success at the NHL level because he can't skate like some of these guys in the NHL, like a lot of these guys in the NHL? I've been telling people for years, it doesn't fucking matter. If you're really well positioned and if you have really good hockey sense, you can overcome uh, that inability to skate as fast as some of these guys in the league. And we're seeing that from him right now. Um, <clears throat> just a wonderful game from that line. And... You know, I'll go a step further uh, outside of that line because there there were more silver linings as well. I thought the top line actually played uh, a pretty good game, honestly. Uh, Caulfield, Suzuki, and uh, Slavkovsky, that is. Slavkovsky seems like he's getting a little bit frustrated now that the puck's not going in for him, and I hope that 
that doesn't become a trend because uh, he was starting to look frustrated last game and he looked a little bit more frustrated this game. Now, there was one play where they were four on four because uh, they had coincidental minors that were called. Uh, Josh Anderson ran into Tristan Jari and a uh, whole kerfuffle happens and they decide to call, you know, coincidental minors. They go four on four. Slavkovsky's out there with Newhook. That was the pair that they decided to go with. And at first I was like, what the fuck? Why, why doesn't Dwa get the chance there? But it actually looked great, and uh, it was kind of a throwback. I remember at the start of the year, Slavkovsky was playing on a line with Doc and Newhook, and they clearly, at 4-on-4, four four, uh, their idea was, we're just going to turn on the afterburners. And Slavkovsky was two steps behind the defenseman uh, as Newhook was skating ahead of him and trying to carry the puck into the zone. Slavkovsky turns on the afterburners and just flies in there. Newhook just couldn't get the pass through not not through his own fault there was a defenseman in the way that tipped it off uh so Slavkovsky couldn't get to it but <clears throat> the, the the sheer speed of those two uh going at four on four was interesting and I went you know it actually kind of makes sense that because you, you got to play Slavkovsky with somebody you know that the other pairing that you're going to use you're, you're going to use Nick and Cole together um so it, it kind of makes sense. Give Slavkovsky somebody uh, to play with, and, and Newhook was was a good option in that game. Uh, be interesting to see what they do in those situations when they're actually healthy. Like when Kirby Doc's around, you're going to use him too. Would you go Doc and Slavkovsky and just go big and heavy? Would you go Newhook and Slavkovsky and keep it that way? And then you could have uh, Hua and uh, and Doc as another option. I don't know. It's there's there's a lot of exciting options that could happen next year, and we're starting to see this develop. I've talked about this uh, in a few episodes now and so I know people are probably getting sick of hearing it but you know the top line again in this game played well and now you're starting to see a really good potential second line developing in front of our eyes um, should be interesting when this team gets healthy on D uh, Jordan Harris back in uh, in the lineup well again he was back uh, last game he played really well uh, really enjoyed his game it was a quiet reserved game he didn't you know have a lot going offensively but he played really well in his own zone uh, making a really good first pass uh, I really liked um, Arbor Jacka in that game. Again, staying physical. Uh, he's really trying to use that clapper at the point now, which, uh, you know, I hope he doesn't get too far away from those those quick little sneaky wristers that he likes to use that he was so good at getting on net before. Um, Colin White comes in uh, as a guy off waivers. I mean, he was fine. He wasn't great, uh, but he's on the fourth line. I mean, as long as you don't get cratered on the fourth line, uh, nobody really cares. Um, <laughs> that sounds bad, but... That's the reality, right? The fourth line, as long as you don't look brutally out of place, nobody really cares. But there was some moments where he was holding onto the puck too long and kind of pissed me off. But, you know, playing his first game with the team, he just got picked up today. So it's not like he has a chance to practice with them or anything. Um, who else? Caden Gooley was pretty good in that game. Uh, even Brendan Gallagher, actually, I thought had a really good game. Other than one bad penalty that he took, um, I talked about it and ended up with a goal. and uh, ended up with the puck in the Habs net. So not a good one to take, but outside of that, I thought he played well. Uh, similar to last night, I really don't have too much negative to say about that game. However, we did have another player go down to injury. That's really the big negative from this game. Jaden Struble, um, who was playing, honestly, for my money, a great game, gets the puck and he's skating into the offensive zone. He's got his legs kind of... His stance is just really, really wide as he's coming in. I think he's just trying to slow himself down. Uh, because I think he knows he doesn't want to go all the way into the zone with it. He wants to just get across the blue line, stop up, and then try to make a play. And I don't know what he hurt. Uh, I can tell you the team's going to come out and say it's lower body. Uh, I put a clip of it up on my Twitter, and people were going, is that an Achilles? Is that an ACL? Is that an MCL? Is that a meniscus? Like, nobody knows. You can't look at a play like that. It's not like, you know, when Aaron Rodgers hurt his Achilles in uh, in the NFL? 
you could see it because he's wearing football gear. So you can actually see the back of his leg and you could see like for sure, just visually that his Achilles snapped. You, you can't see that in, in hockey gear, but his left leg, clearly something happened to it. And I don't know what it was, but he could barely get back to the bench and he needed help to get back to the room. I would not be surprised if Jaden Struble's season is done. Um, and that's, no bueno because he's a guy that maybe could have got papered down to Laval and, and helped them out with their stretch run, uh, similarly to what I mentioned for Joshua Roy, uh in his last game. And he's also a guy that the Habs were kind of leaning on lately to play some some pretty significant minutes for them, so it's really unfortunate. Um, there's been some ups and downs, uh, but he was he was for sure. He's up this game, up last game as well. And uh, really, it sucks to see that, right? It's a non-contact Injury where, I mean, how do you avoid that? Again, I, I thought his stance looked really wide as he was coming into the zone, but that's not, just having a wide stance on skates isn't usually something that's inherently dangerous. So, um, you know, all I can say is positive vibes over to him. I hope he's all right. Uh, I hope he, I hope we do see him again this season. But if it is anything serious, then I hope we don't. I've said this a few times this season. We do not need to be playing guys when they're hurt. We don't need the games that bad. Losses sometimes are worth more than wins at this point. Uh, don't rush anybody back if they if they aren't absolutely 100% ready to go. But uh, it would kind of suck if he doesn't get to at least come back and, and try to help out Laval. But again, the way that he went off the ice and the way that he needed to be helped to the room, not too sure we're going to be seeing him on the ice uh, again this season. That was the, the big negative. I mean, other than that, I got no complaints with that game. I guess the the last thing I should touch on is uh, Caden Primo and Net. Um, you know, when you lose a game four to one, and you outshoot the other team, and you outchance them, and you outpossess them, that's usually a recipe for being able to say, "Well, the goaltender kind of screwed you on that one." I I disagree. I w- I would disagree with that if anybody is saying that. I haven't seen anybody saying it on Twitter, but I also have been trying to stay a little bit more away from Twitter during the games. Uh, even though I'm tweeting out highlights there, I try to you know reply less and look at things less. So I haven't seen anybody say that, but I, I felt like he actually played a very good game. He only let in three because you got to throw the empty netter out. Uh, and the three that he let in, I really didn't feel there was anything he could do about him. Uh, the Latin the shot from the point, that one's coming through a mess of bodies. He was struggling just to get a beat on it. Um, the uh, the O'Connor shot was just a really good shot off the rush. Uh, messy defense, messy rush defense by the Montreal Canadiens on that one. Um, I I just I struggle to to see how you could blame him for for any of those. Um, so yeah, it's it is what it is. Uh, it's another one for the tank. Again, Team Tank's going to be super happy about that. Um, it inches them just a little bit closer to maybe getting into that striking distance of a top five pick and. You know, pretty soon we're going to have to really hunker down and start looking at the draft options and decide who we're going to be upset about the Habs picking and who we're not going to be upset about the Habs picking. We were talking about it actually in the EOTP Slack chat uh, during the game once we got into the third period and it became clear that the Habs weren't going to be able to get one. Now yeah, we're chatting a little bit about it and uh, I think a lot of us agree Caden Lindstrom would be an ideal pick if they're picking at like number four, number five. Um, he might not even make it that far, though. So Brickley Catton's another interesting one. Ivan Demidov, the Russian. Um, and, you know, there, there's going to be interesting options. It, the, the top three outside of Macklin Celebrini, the other two could all be D. Um, you could even go to the top four. You might have three D in the top four, and Macklin Celebrini's the, t- the number one overall pick. So uh, there should be some really interesting forward options available for them. I hope they go forward. 
Um, but you know, everybody has their own opinion and, uh, it's something that we might all start being able to discuss, uh, sooner than later because, uh, you know, the mathematical elimination has not come for the Habs from the playoffs yet. Uh, but it will. And, uh, you know, the, the mathematical elimination has not come for the Penguins yet either, but I'll tell you what, if I was the Penguins, I would not be leaving my arena feeling very happy about that game. You, you, you won, you, you won it four to one. So yeah, on the scoreboard, you won it. But you also have to know that a team that's below you in the standings, that is rebuilding, that has confirmed publicly that that is what they are doing, that is not expecting to make the playoffs whatsoever, was out-possessing, out-chancing you in your own barn after playing the night before. I would not be happy with that if I'm the Penguins. They fucking went out and got Eric Carlson on their team because they're trying to go for like the last dance type thing with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin before they're, before they're done. And... You know, you you got the Montreal Canadiens rebuilding, playing the night before, coming into your building and doing that to you. I wouldn't be happy with a 4-1 score at all. Um, so the Habs, for their part, should be happy about what they were able to do, which was go out there and, and play some, some really sound hockey. So, um, yeah, that's about it. What are we running? Over 21 minutes. So somehow, even with not very much to say, uh soirée énorme pour les employés de soutien. Uh, we are on Spotify, Google Play, Apple. I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I'd appreciate that very much. This episode was brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you, as always, for listening. And of course, à la prochaine. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.